Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Hello there. I'm excited in a a little bit, oh, it's such a weird word, trepidatious about today's episode. Because um, the guest is actually me. Today I'm going to lay out, if you will, the, the stories in my life that brought me to this podcast. The reason why Andrea's gift became such an important part of my life that I, I had no choice but to start this podcast trying to perhaps help someone else get through their story. In sharing, you're able to lighten your burden somewhat. So yes, this is where I'm going to go on with my story, if you will. You see, September 13th was, well, an anniversary of sorts from 1983. Now, this is not an anniversary in in the way that you think of, you know, a sort of joyous, something you want to celebrate. It's definitely not to be celebrated. It is, however, really important for me to acknowledge how far I've come from the me of that day of everything that led up to 1983. See, that me didn't feel good enough. In fact, I absolutely hated that me. And um, it's also important for me to acknowledge the suicidal ideation that became ever-present. Became almost a daily occurrence Uh, And I would love to say that it was only fleeting, you know, through my thoughts over this time in hospital. See, it was supposed to be a short stay. Should have been less than a week. Well, it was just the, let's call it amuse-bouche, if you will, of the entire meal. Even in deep pain, my head immediately goes to humor. And yes, I know my sense of humor is incredibly bent. And of course, I choose a food analogy. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> it's kind of who I am. That silly humor, that, that you know, thread of comedy through my life <laughs> and all the insane happenings is really 
what has helped get me through. Not to get ahead of myself, you're going to get the correlation with the food, etc. soon enough. The bottom line here is, in all of this, I have to be ever so thankful to Andrea for that best, worst gift you could ever be given. And she took her own life. Let's get to the actual story. September 13th, 1983, on that fateful day, I chose, I chose, to undergo uh, an experimental surgery. See, I chose to have my stomach stapled. It was called a vertical banded gastroplasty back then. When all was said and done, it would be almost 12 years before I learned the truth, that debacle that was September 1983. Notice I didn't say a date, I just said the month. You see, I learned 12 years later, my stomach that had been stapled on the 13th of September was unstapled three weeks after that initial third surgery. In a third surgery I had on September 28th. We're not going to talk about that here. That will be in another episode. It would be 30 years plus before I actually started on the road to learning to like Another seven years before I understood I am good enough. I am valuable. I am worth my time. I'm worthy of being loved. And I'm worthy of being alive. And I'm hoping that I am showing that I'm worthy of Andrea's gift to me. It's September 13th, 1983. It was a day of great anticipation. You see, this was the day. I was the only one in my family or friends who thought that this was a good move. Nobody wanted me to have this experimental surgery. I knew, and my family made sure that I was well aware, there was, in fact, a 2% chance that I could die. I believed with almost all my heart that I would be fine. Never in a million years would I have thought that I would come within inches of being in that 2 percentile. I was under the impression that I was going to make a deeply uplifting change in my life. I thought this eventual new me would open up a world in which I could like me. It would be a whole new world. I was so incredibly excited, so looking forward. And yet, there was this teeny tiny little gut feeling inside. It, it hovered just out of reach, you know, like a gnat. 
buzzing around your head at twilight. It's unseen. It's more felt. I'm just there in the edge of your vision, around your hair. It's just a little annoyance in that peripheral vision. And I kept trying to ignore it. I'd made up my mind. You see, I was primed for this surgery. I had done all the things. I'd gone for all the preparatory work. I jumped through all the hoops that the hospital and the medical people required. I talked to all the people the doctor required me to talk to in order to prepare me for this impending surgery, this life-changing surgery. It would mean an entirely different way of eating for the rest of my life. It meant that I had to pay attention to what I put in my body. It meant that I had to follow the rules. And I decided over that year, getting ready for this surgery, that I was all in for this. I was so all in, I was going against my entire family. My husband, my parents, my sister, all my friends. Nobody was on my side. I can't say I blame them. Because there, at the edge of my consciousness, tiny little voice just wouldn't go away. Just kept ringing this little alarm. But I refused to listen. I was even more adamant that I was going to breeze through the surgery and I'd be back at work, full of life, completely done in three weeks. Total time, 21 days. That's what I'd been told. Everyone in our family and my close friends, and that's the only people who knew why I was having the surgery. They didn't want me to go ahead with it. They begged me to reconsider. They didn't understand the full depths of my hatred for me. They didn't understand the depth of the shame I felt at needing this surgery. Now, like everything else, you know, in hindsight, which is always 2020, right? I now get that my intuition, my family, my friends, in fact, it seems everybody on the planet except me, knew that this would not turn out to be a good thing. Yet, uh, no one, not any of us, had envisioned the horror that would ensue. Nobody saw the decades of struggle ahead. I could never have understood that today, at 66 years of age, the ramifications of what I set in motion that day, I pay for every single day. Back to the story. The surgery required some preoperative work to be done. The actual surgical prep work was, uh, in hindsight, and again, a foreshadowing of all the difficulties to come. You see, the very first thing they had to do on getting me into the hospital became an issue. 
they required a central venous line. Um, it's something that, that healthcare providers uh, will use your subclavian vein uh, for central vein access. And that's uh, right up by your collarbone and your clavicle. It's known as a central line. They were going to insert that line between my clavicle and sternum, I think it's called. And uh, as luck would have it, it turns out one in approximately, I don't know if it's 60,000 or 600,000 people have an issue with those bones, the bones of your clavicle and your sternum, being too close together and not allowing enough space to make it easy to get an intravenous line started. It took them three or four tries to finally get one going. They had tried on both the left and the right hand side. The little twinge, that little gut feeling inside got just a tiny bit louder. I could feel a, a kernel of fear inside, but I kept pushing it down. Sad to say, it, it was never loud enough to make me listen. I don't actually remember the trip to the operating room. I don't remember the last few moments before go, like going under the anesthetic. In all honesty, I don't remember much of that day in 1983, September the 13th, other than the anticipation and that little kernel of fear. I would beat myself up over and over for making the choice to go ahead with the surgery that came later. I agonized for decades over the toll on my husband, my kids, my family. I carried such shame and guilt over feeling that I required this stomach stapling and that somehow I was making it not work. And that led to almost daily bouts of suicidal ideation. After all, they didn't want me to do this. I had made such a mess. It would just be so better for everybody if I wasn't. And each time there was Andrea writing my thoughts putting in pictures of how I felt when she left us, of how our friends felt, of the pain and the anguish that we went through. And I just couldn't do it. I understood originally that when I woke up in post-op, I would be required to feed through a tube in my side. I understood, excuse me, I understood that the tube was to stay in my side for a total of three weeks. It's a short form called the J-tube, a J-genostomy tube, because it's in your small intestine. I was told I'd spend six days in the hospital, and in the next two weeks, I'd be recuperating at home. On the 21st day, I'd come back into the clinic, and the doctor would take out the J-tube in my left side, and I'd follow the new protocols, and life would go on. I fully understood and accepted that I was to have nothing by mouth until after the removal of the J-tube. I had been preparing for a year. I knew this damn cold. 
I knew that those first 21 days were crucial and they would set me up for success in my new way of eating. On waking up in resuscitation, I had a weird twinge of pain deep in my right shoulder. It was so painful, it actually took my breath away. I didn't want to seem like a baby and I didn't want to complain. I didn't want to give my family anything to worry about. And I knew they were waiting with bated breath lest anything go bad. It was uh, a bit of a lost day when all was said and done as they kept injecting me with pain medication. That first day, I didn't ask for it. It was never long enough between shots for me to ask for it. And that happened the next day and the next. The nurses showed me how to feed through the J-tube that was placed in my side. And they're, in hindsight again, there seemed to be way too many visits from the resident and the student doctors who participated in the surgery. They'd come into my room and bustle around the bed. None of them ever looked me in the eye. None of them really said much, and they never addressed me and each of them would abruptly turn and leave. I'd been assigned a student nurse, and she took notes on everything. She took my temperature, my level of discomfort, my use of the feeding tube, all of those things were being documented. And it was this student nurse who chuckled with me on day two when we realized that the kitchen had sent me up a strawberry milkshake, not vanilla, not chocolate, although flavor didn't really matter since it was going in my side. But this strawberry milkshake was complete with strawberry seeds. We could see them. Now we were supposed to put this milkshake into a large bolus syringe and inject it into the tube. The tube was a tiny intravenous tube and the seeds looked massive. Both of us knew from the start it wasn't really possible to take that milkshake. The strawberry seeds were so big enough, like so huge, they, they took up the whole J-tube. But I understood, and the nurse understood, it was critical for me to have some sustenance. Ah, that milkshake got stuck on the very first seed. The student nurse thought she could maybe make it go through, and she tried valiantly to flush that with saline. It meant a trip downstairs to the emergency area so that they can insert a new J-tube. That one was ruined. Now, I suppose that was a good lesson <laughs> because over the next year and a bit, there were many trips to the emergency department of the hospital. And a couple of really embarrassing incidents I actually tell the story on my website of that beautiful beige Mercedes convertible that belonged to my girlfriend, her actual boyfriend, and a stopcock on my J-tube popped out. It was a horrible time. It was, it was a horrible mess. And, uh, you can always read about it on the website.
as I said, I ended up dependent on that J-tube for more than a year. It was the only way I could get nourishment. Back to September 1983. By the end of day two, that dull pain in my shoulder had become much worse, and I was spiking a fever. Nobody seemed to know why the fever. On day three, I was actually getting weak from the constant pain and had developed continued nausea. I was, however, desperate to go home. I thought I'd be able to heal better. I was having bizarre dreams and nightmares that terrified me. In hindsight, I think this was because of all the medication that I was being given. The residents and student doctors kept coming in and fluttering about and leaving. It seemed nobody wanted to answer any of my questions, nor did anyone actually ask how I was, other than the student nurse. On day five, I was told that I was to have a barium swallow before being discharged, and that I could probably go home the next day. Doctor came in couple of hours later and said, unfortunately, there was a problem down in the x-ray department, so they'd have to put off the test. He then said, if I promised to come back on Monday or Tuesday, this was, I believe, Friday afternoon, if I came back on Monday or Tuesday for that swallow test, I could go home. Saturday morning, I was willing to come back to have the barium swallow I was just so happy to go home. I just wanted to be home. Husband, kids, I knew that I'd be better at home. The discomfort, and in all honesty now, constant pain in my right, excuse me, left shoulder, now became like somebody put a sword in me. I mentioned it to the student nurse who wrote it in her notes. On that Saturday morning, as I waited for my husband to pick me up, the resident and the student doctors came back in. The student nurse stopped the resident on the way out and told him I still had a fever. I was holding my breath because I just wanted to go home. He listened to her but didn't take much interest in her information and left the room. The student nurse asked me if the pain was worse as I was leaving. I couldn't wait to go home, so I said goodbye and thank you. I didn't really answer her question. I saw, I saw really no point in mentioning that uh, really didn't understand why I would have pain in my left shoulder since I'd had surgery in my stomach. We'll pick that one up again later. I promised to come back with a barium swallow on Monday or Tuesday as requested. As I left, I told them I didn't want anything for pain. I didn't want a prescription. We would have to put it through the J-tube because I couldn't have anything by mouth anyway. And I thought it best that I be brave and put up with a bit of pain since I made my family go through this. And it was my fault that they were worried about me. I tended to think that way a lot because I didn't have a lot of use for me, per se. And so we went home.
I only lasted less than 17 hours before I had to be taken to emergency. As the pain in my left shoulder was so bad, I couldn't sit, I couldn't lie, I couldn't stand. It was excruciating. And so, only a week later, less than a week later, I returned to the hospital, to the emergency department. You have to remember this was 1983. Stomach stapling was an experimental surgery. Nobody knew much about it. In fact, there was only one doctor in our city that even did it. So it left a lot of questions unanswered. And I almost made it in and out of that emergency room with just a prescription for medication. That's a story for another day. Thank you for listening. I so appreciate having you on the podcast. And in a future episode, we'll pick up where we left off on September 20th is the anniversary of the next surgery. It's September 21st. And as I said, that's a whole other story. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Make the best of your today, every day. And I'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results.